This morning, if you've got your Bible there with you, uh, turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We're going to look at the first 11 verses this morning. So glad everyone's here this morning. Uh, it's, it's encouraging to my soul anyway when I look out and see all these smiling faces out here. This is, that encourages me. And so I know you're coming. You want to hear something. And we want to hear what the Lord has to say this morning. And then we want to meet here in the altar and, and we want to uh, talk to him about it. That's what he wants to do this morning. Psalm 103, verse the first 11 verses. And this morning we want to look at for a few minutes the benefits of serving God. Is there benefits in serving God? When you get a job, you want to know maybe uh, uh, the benefits, and uh, that's what we want to know. And there is some definite benefits in serving God. I might have looked at some of these verses before. We're going to look at it a little different today if I have. But in, in verse 1 it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are those benefits? Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy, the Lord, or who satisfy thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment. For all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. And I thank you, God, that you're a great God, a, a mighty God, a worthy God. And Lord, you've done so much for us, God. Let us be stirred up in our soul. Let us be stirred up within us today. And as David, that we cry out praise and worship, Lord, to you because of what all you've done. And Lord, if there be one in our midst this morning or more that doesn't know you, that they'd be able to, by the end of the service, that they would call out on you and they would again, as the rest of us is able to say that they would be able to say oh bless the Lord oh my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name and we thank you for what you're going to do God meet us in this altar and God draw us to it in Jesus name I pray amen amen you can be seated there the benefits of serving God if I were to take some testimonies today more than what I'll even cover here you all would be able to tell me some of the wonderful things that God has done in your life and how faithful he has been there is definitely benefits in serving God have you ever talked to yourself do you ever talk to yourself you ever, I get on myself every once in a while. My wife be in the back bedroom saying, who are you talking to? I say, I'm talking to myself. And she gets real concerned. She gets real concerned because now if I start answering myself, that's even worse. But so far I haven't answered myself back after I've said stuff. But sometimes we talk to ourselves because we need to, we, we, want, we maybe shake ourselves. Like, what are you doing, you big goof? Why did you mess up? Why did you do that? Or, or what was you thinking when you did that? I do that uh, quite often. It's more than I need to, I guess. But David is looking at himself, and it doesn't it really explain this is one of David's psalms 
And some of them we don't know who wrote, but this one's clearly identified as one of David's sons. And so we don't know maybe the circumstances going on, uh, but we do know that he's trying to encourage himself. If you ever need to get encouraged, if you ever go down, the enemy's trying to get you to look down and see some little thing in front of you, and he wants to discourage you, and yet you know inside of you that there's no really reason to be discouraged because of all the things God's done. And sometimes we have to refresh your mind of what God's done for us and how faithful he's been and encourage us. David didn't have to have anybody help him. Sometimes we might need a little help, but David didn't need anybody. He just thought about what God had done for him, the many, many things, and he encouraged himself. So he's talking to himself. Now, the, in the Hebrew, this word soul, by the way, this is in here. If you look at this chapter, and I, I didn't read for the sake of time. I didn't go through the whole, I think, 18 verses. But the, the, this phrase, bless the Lord, oh my soul, is six times. So in Scripture, when something's repeated and repeated and repeated two or more times, there's a special emphasis there because it wants to get her pen. Every word for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, right, it's there for a reason. It just wasn't an accident. So he wants us to see what he's saying. The original word here in the Hebrew for soul is only actually two, they only refer to two different things. Now, somehow when we translate it into English, sometimes it's the reverse of this. We translate in English, it's 28 different things we say that that same word means. In the Hebrew, there's two things that it's talking about. And the one is the outer man, the, the soul, the person that it's talking about is an outer man. And that's what you all would see. When you look at me, you see the outward. You have an opinion of kind of the way I am and what you see. And, and I can sometimes maybe fool you. I could put on a front. You see something. You may not know. I may be smiling on the outside and not smiling on the inside. You see that outside man. And that's one word that they translate into soul. The other one you're familiar with is that soul, that, that person down deep inside, that real person that's going through it, that person that you don't see on the outside, but God sees on the inside. And so it's that person, that real uh, spirit that's within a man is what he's talking about here. So he's talking to his spirit inside and he's saying, oh, and of course, bless means praise. He said, praise the Lord, inner man, my soul, my spirit. Praise him. Don't you be downcast. Don't you get all tore up. You need to look at who your Savior is. And he's encouraging us over and over. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And everything that's deep within me, I want it to know. I don't want to put on the outward man. I don't want it to be the soul that just says, okay, God, I'm going. We long learn to do church. We learn. If you, if you get in church enough time, you know when you come in, you know what's going to happen after the offering. And you know when you're supposed to raise your hands and when you're supposed to get down. And you can go through the motions. No, he's saying, no, I don't want this to be something put on. I want God's looking at the inside, man. I want my whole insides to rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes through and he says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, praise his or bless his holy name. And he says it again for emphasis, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And what are we going to do to encourage yourself? Forget not all his benefits. Benefits. When we get a job, we, I remember a guy that I used to work with, and I think I've told this before, but later on in life, we didn't work together anymore, and I was with him somewhere, and he was, he seen somebody he knew that worked another job, and he says, hey, you work over there, hey, you all hiring, do you all have any benefits, and I was, 
I thought it was strange. I was in my early 20s, and I thought, what? No, who cares about benefits? You know, I want the pay is what I want. But as you get older, you realize those benefits are important, aren't they? And so this is talking about this word benefits is a reward. It's, it's goodness. It's God's goodness that's poured out on his children. And when you see all the things that he does for us, all we all ought to be straight. First of all, it should draw anyone who's not saved to, to reach out to him because of all the good things that he gives. And then us that worship him, we should never come through the house into the house of God and, and be uh, cast down because all we got to do is think about what he did yesterday and the day before and when he saved us and when he healed us and all these different things that he's done for us. And we ought to say, wow, I'm encouraged in the Lord because of his faithfulness to me. And so we're going to look at a few of these benefits today of what he is uh, uh, doing in our life and reasons we have uh, to be blessing his name. The first thing we should, we should praise, you should praise him for he is your savior. He says, right out, he, the most important thing right up front, hey, all the rest of these not even important if this one doesn't happen. You can have all the other blessings that God and God can I mean, have all these things done. But if he doesn't save you, if he's not your savior, then this, we're living in a temporal world. Then we're going to end one, one day. We're going to see how important that is. It says in verse 3, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. That word forgiveth means pardon. It means pardon. Does that mean when you pardon someone, are they innocent? Sometimes, I guess, but most of the time, they're not. They're in prison. They're in jail. And sometimes there is that presidential pardon that says, even though you're guilty and you've been charged and you've been put in prison, I, with one stroke of a pen, am declaring you innocent and you get to be set free. The greatest example of this was the day Jesus went to the cross. There was a man who was in a cell that was very guilty. Barabbas was not an innocent man. Barabbas was someone that you can tell by reading he's been there many times before. He is a man who was notoriously bad. In fact, he was one of the worst. And in fact, they were going to Calvary. It does, I don't think it says anywhere, but I believe that he was going to be on the cross. That third cross was going to be Barabbas that day. And so the, the, uh, the two thieves and Bra Brabus was in a cell. And when they tried to uh, crucify Christ, they tried to, the, the, uh, they tried to get him out by saying, Okay, who do you want today? Do you want us to they release one person each year? It's like that symbolic scapegoat where the people would put their hand on the scapegoat and set it free into the wilderness would be a sign of sin transferred into, and it would be able to go out into the wilderness. And that represented us being able to be set free. And so they they said, who do you want? You want us to set Jesus free or Barabbas? Now, they all hated Barabbas, and he was a pretty evil person, and he was right where they wanted him to be. But they disliked Christ so much that they said, set him free. Now, can you imagine this? I was thinking about this yesterday, uh, thinking about Barabbas. He's in that cell, and he probably thinks the next time that door opens, he's already had his last meal, and the next time that door opens, they're going to take him out and probably kill him. And so we see that the, the door opens and he's probably nervous and all of a sudden the guard stands there and he says, Barabbas, and he's expecting, let's go to the cross, and he says, Barabbas, you're free. Can you imagine what's going through his mind at that moment? What are you talking about? I'm free. You've, you've been set free. How have I been set free? I mean, he's excited about it. Someone else is going to go to the cross and you get to be set free. They've chose to set you free. Who went to the cross? Who's, who is taking my place? And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Aren't we in that same exact boat? He, he says that here, this word says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, because who forgiveth, who pardons 
all my sin. It means that I was guilty. We're everyone guilty. We're everyone should be the one to pay the price for what we've done. But it says when we put our confidence in him that he pardons us. He washes it all away. We get to go away free and he pays the price. We know that we have given our sin has been laid on him because Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord God hath laid on him, that's Jesus Christ, the iniquity, the sin of us all. He paid the price for you and me. And I can't imagine what he went through on that cross. So we should praise him and rejoice in him because he's our Savior. We should praise him because he's your healer. Thank God he's your healer. He's the one that says the second part of that verse 3, who healeth all thy diseases, all of them. We see that uh, th- that word healed there means to cure, uh, to repair, and even restore, uh, to actually build back, put back, what was lost. And so we know that we serve a Savior, that Jesus Christ, when he heals, he was able to walk up to a coffin of a young boy and a mother crying her eyes out and just touch that coffin and that boy raised up. He was able with just his voice to speak healing to Lazarus and say, Lazarus, come forth. He was able to heal the blind and do so many miracles, and he still heals today. How many in here this morning and say, thank God he's healed me before? He's healed so many times. He's touched me, and I, and I trust him that he's even going to do more and greater things than we've seen, and I, I know he can do it. It's nothing is too hard for him. I read a testimony that was pretty amazing, and I, I'd heard about this guy, but I got searching for it this weekend, and his name was Reverend, he become a reverend. He was seven years old when this happened to him. His name was Roscoe Ronald Coyne, and he had a accident when he was seven years of age and the accident injured one of his eyes so badly that they had to go in and surgically cut it out so he didn't have one of his eyes he had one that still worked and one was gone he went to a tent meeting this was back in 1951 he went to as a seven-year-old he went to a tent meeting in Sepulpa Oklahoma and, and, and he got in a line, a prayer line, and I'm probably a big tent meeting to be prayed for. And the person who was preaching and praying was the evangelist Daisy Gillick. And she is the sister, you all may have heard of her brother, he was the evangelist T.L. Osborne. And it was, this was his sister, and she was praying for the sick. And when she seen that little boy, it didn't scare her at all. She got her hands and she prayed and said, God, you do a miracle in this little boy's life right now. And we would, and it would be so exciting because I've actually heard different. I was trying to the testimony I was looking for is where I've seen someone actually put an eyeball back and it start really little and it grows and grows and grows. Eventually, it's a full eyeball again, a regrowing eyeball. That's amazing. This is even more amazing because what happened to this little boy? The moment she quit praying for him, they were able to put their hand over his good eye. And he could read out of that socket. There was not even an eyeball. He could read. In fact, it was such a transformation in his life. He later surrendered his heart to the Lord and to ministry. And he went into ministry and he used his whole ministry to preach the faithfulness and God's power and able to heal. In fact, he was on many of the big talk shows. They wanted this miracle guy to actually come on their show, but he made a deal. Let me tell you where he was at. He actually appeared on Oprah Winfrey. He, uh, Geraldo, Phil Donahue, 
That's incredible. Jesse, uh, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, several other ones. They wanted him to come and so they could show their audiences this incredible thing that had happened to him because he's an older man now. He's now a minister of the gospel. But he made him a deal before he would come on. He said, now listen, I won't even, I'm not even agreeing to come until, unless you agree to one thing. When I come on there, I'm going to be able to give 100% glory to Jesus Christ that he's the one that healed me. And not one of them stopped him from doing that. And he did that. In fact, I, I don't, I've not checked this, but they said there's been millions of people across these years that's given their heart and life because of this great testimony. What was, in fact, in fact, this guy that was writing this article says, I know him personally because my wife worked for T.L. Osborne and I got to know this guy personally. So he had him come to his church and he wanted to show that God had really done a miracle in this guy's life. Still just a socket. And he said, I proved it. He said, I took my handkerchief, I folded it eight times. I kept folding it tighter and tighter so it was thicker and thicker. He said, then I got a big old roll of tape. And he said, and I taped, used half a roll of tape, taping his whole head up around that eye. And he said, actually, that this man, this uh, Reverend Coyne, actually told him, said, if I didn't like you, you hurt me. If I didn't like you, I'd been mad at you because you really overdid it. He taped it where there was nothing, you, no light could get in that side of the face on the good side. And he could read. 42 people came up, and he was able to read clearly. In fact, even when he would put his... Uh, false eye back in, he could still see just as clearly. What a miracle that God could do. God's a healer, isn't he? God's a healer, and he still heals today. Some of you all have known this even recently. We've seen heal. We seen Jerry last week. It's a miracle that Jerry, uh, what he did in his life from what he was last year, it's a, bit, it's a miracle. And some of you, Herschel's a testimony. And of course, we had Barb with her testimony and Joan with hers and all kinds of things that God's working and moving. So we, can pr we need to praise him because he's a healer. And so we can be encouraged to him because he's a healer. Not only that, we should praise the Lord and have rejoicing because he is your redeemer. He's your redeemer. It says in verse 4, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Isn't that where we are all heading? Isn't that where our life was before he saves us? We're all, we think we're heading to, to fun and we're heading to the things that we're finally going to accomplish. But the end result is we don't see it, but down the road is destruction coming. And it says that he redeems us. That word redeem means to save from bondage by an outside help. And so I was thinking about, oh, Lord, how do I illustrate that? And, and, I see, and I know in Scripture there's never a more clear picture of this probably than in Hosea and Gomer's life. Hosea was the man of God. He was the man of God. And so God had told him to marry this woman, Gomer, and she was a woman that lived an uh, uh, evil life. She, she was a woman of the street. And so he married her. He loved her. He did. He had children by her, but he couldn't change her. And at some point in that marriage, how horrible and heartbroken he must have been, she'd let him know that he wasn't enough, and she left him and the family and went back to the street. He probably tried to pull her back in, beg her, try to plead with her, don't do this, look at your children. And still her heart was so driven, so distant that she went to that lifestyle. We see if you go to the end of the story, she gets to such a mess that she has now ruined her life. She's probably even in debt to where they have now, she has been uh, used up and now they are getting ready. She's standing on an auction block. When we see her last, she's standing on an auction block getting ready to be sold as a slave. Her life is destroyed. She's headed, she went straight into destruction and she's at the very end. I can imagine, I was thinking about her. Can you imagine how embarrassed it would be? Now, she, is, she was the 
wife of the prophet. She was in a good home, and she had warm clothes, and she had uh, a wonderful warm house, and, and her family and people loved her, and now where she's standing. She's probably standing there with her head down, not even wanting to look up. She doesn't even want, she's ashamed. She don't even want to see anybody's eyes, no doubt. And she's standing in there on the auction block, and she knows that someone who knows what they could do anything they want to with her. She's probably thinking, how did I get where I'm at? Why did I do what I did? And she hears the bidding start. I can imagine in her ears that she hears someone's bid, and some gruff voice bid, and she's thinking, oh, my life, what is going to happen to me? But then she hears somebody else bid. She recognizes that voice. Could it be? And she looks up, and it's Hosea. He's in the crowd, no doubt, tears flowing down his face. Look at, look at what's going on. And he's bidding for her. Somebody else throws a bid. He bids higher. Somebody else throws another bid. He bids higher. No doubt, his life savings is on the line here. But this is his wife. This is the one he loves. This is the one who doesn't deserve anything. She doesn't deserve it. Anybody in the crowd would say, what are you doing? Are you a fool? What are you doing? But his heart, he loves her. He loves her. And it says that he won the bid. And he saved her. He took her off those steps. And he took her back home. And he forgave her. Isn't that the most perfect example of what God did? We didn't deserve mercy. When we stand in on that auction block, anybody in the world would say, you don't deserve anything. You deserve exactly what you're getting. But the Lord who looked at us with such love, why did, he, why did he put Hosea through that? To give us a picture of his love for us. That even when we didn't deserve him, that he loved us enough that he paid the price when we were just guilty. And yet he forgives us. So we should rejoice that he redeems us from destruction, which we chose on our own. Not only that, we should, number four, we should praise him for being having compassionate love compassionate love this this is a special phrase where it says in verse 4 the second part of verse 4 says who crowneth thee by the way crowneth that word is not talking about on top of this word means to surround it means to completely surround someone with loving kindness and tender mercies that is talking about a compassionate love that just burns within somebody a compassionate desire for someone Psalms 5.12 says, For the Lord will bless the righteous with favor. Thou wilt compass him. That's the same word. Compass him as with the shield. He compasses his children with love. Compassionate love that even when we are distant to him, even when we don't deserve him, his love surrounds us like a coat. He just surrounds us with his love. Isn't it awesome that God loves us even when we don't deserve him? He does. We see this example in the life of Joseph. Joseph is now at the end, toward the end of his, uh, he's now grown up. He's now been in bondage for years. And we see that he is now the number two most powerful person in the world, right under Pharaoh. And he's running the show. He's doing, he's doing it all. And his brothers were pretty vile. We see them and we think, how could you ever take your brother and want to kill him and then sell him into slavery and then lie to your dad whose heart's broken and all this stuff. And, and the Lord works. You know, that should show us that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and call to court. That, that even in that mess, God was able to do something. We see that we're in the story. They're now sitting. They're, it's come to the point where they're all sitting. He's made them come and they don't know who he is and they're sitting at the table. 
Now, I, when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking in his mind, what's going through his mind? I mean, these guys are the ones that put him through all those years of grief and hardship and slavery and, and being put in prison on, on, uh, for something he didn't do. He's went through a whole lot. And he's now in a position, some of us would say, boy, I'll tell you what, you, you know, sometimes when someone does you wrong, if you don't watch, you'll be thinking, boy, I'd like to get them back. Boy, I, and you could think of some ways, boy, if I could just say that or if I could just do that or you plan a few things, and, and we know that's not pleasing to the Lord. But if there's anybody that was in a position to do it, it was him. He's sitting here, and he, they know. They don't know who he is because he now is speaking, you know, the Egyptian language. So we see that they don't know him, but they're scared of him because they know that all he has to do is just get one of these right here, and his, his soldiers will take their heads off. They could be in prison, killed, one wrong move. They're sitting there probably shaking. And so he could be standing there thinking about what he could do. But do you know what happened when he got in their presence? We see what happens when he gets in their presence. It says in verse 40, Genesis 43, 30, and says, And Joseph made haste, he was getting out of the room, for his bowels did yearn upon his brothers. And he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. You know what, that, what he's doing here? That is compassionate love. That's his word. Joseph looked at his brothers that deserved to be destroyed. They deserved to be put in prison like he put, they put him, to be fearful for their life. Yet when he come to them, even looking at them in their guilt, his heart yearned for them because he loved them so much. He couldn't get away from that. And we see another picture of the way the Lord looks at you and me. He looks at us. And he sees us. And right now his mercy is reaching out. His mercy is extended to you and I. And he looks at us. And if he looks at our lifestyle, he's able to say, yes, they don't deserve anything from me. They've rejected me. They've pushed me back. I've drawn them. I've given them. They've turned back. They keep leaving me. They don't want me. They don't give me any time. They don't love me. But my heart yearns for them. Why did he send his son to the cross? Because he yearned for your relationship and mine to be restored to him. And so we see that compassionate love that he had for us and that forgiveness that we have through him. And so I, I, I see that God's love trumps judgment due to Christ's mercy. Right now, God is withholding his judgment. Does that mean forever? No, it doesn't. There's coming a day when that mercy is extended as far as it's going to go. But the Lord right now reaches out with love and mercy and compassion even when we pushed him back a thousand times before. He still yearns for us. So we have reason to worship. You know what? Thank God he did because so many times I've done that and he, one more time, just one more time, he reached out for me when I finally accepted him. Thank God for his compassionate love. And so we should also praise him because he's our restorer. He's a restorer. It says in verse 5, Who satisfy thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. That first verse, part of the verse is something we don't rarely get to experience in this life. Who is completely satisfied? How many times are we, we can feel like we've, you know, you, you think if I get that certain gift on Christmas Day, it's going to satisfy me. You ever felt that way? Boy, if I could just get that new thing, I can't wait. And I used to get those toy books. And I remember, oh, I, would, I love that we wore the pages out of those books. Remember them? You didn't have the Internet. You had commercials on Saturday and on, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And you had the, the Sears or whatever toy book that would come. And you would see those items. You thought, if I could get that GI 
beside Joe right there, I'd be satisfied. I know I'd be, I'd be set for the next year. I know it would be. Do you know what happens about 8.30 on Christmas Eve? You're playing with the boxes instead of the toys. You're never satisfied. Even in this, even you think that goes away, it doesn't. We get in relationships and it doesn't satisfy. We try different things to de deaden our minds, to entertain ourselves. We try everything in the world. Nothing completely satisfies except for one thing, Jesus Christ. The very thing that drawed me the most when I was rebelled and running from God, living in Richmond, running from God, is I knew that the only thing that ever satisfied me was what I felt in that altar. That's it. It's the only thing. And so he satisfied. And it says that he satisfies us so much so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. I was reading a little bit about this. And there's some controversy on whether some people say that some of this is true. And some people that study eagles say it's not. And so I, I, I'm just going to give you what I, one of the articles that I read was talking about the molting of, of eagles. By the way, I understand there's supposed to be some eagles over here somewhere. And I know there is at Laurel Lake. And uh, I learned a few things uh, that the eagles, when you see an eagle and it's not, doesn't have the, the wide head and the tail tip, it's not mature enough. Yeah, it's not five years old. There's, there's a molting process that's going to happen about four to five. By the way, it's an amazing thing that an eagle is a very amazing bird that lives. Now, some people say 70, but my understanding is they live to be about 30 to 32 years of age. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? And so they're a powerful bird. They, they rep, of course, in America, we, they represent freedom to us, and it's a, it's a protected bird and so forth. But my understanding is that during that immature period of their life, the first few years, they're, you can tell by looking at them by the color of their feathers, but there comes this molting period that's going on. And they start losing so much at a time their feathers and they exchanging them out for a new, more vibrant colors. And then you start seeing that white come back in on their head and that, that uh, on their tips of their uh, wings. And it's going to be uh, show that they're in the maturity. Now they're in they're at the mature age. And so, but during that period of the molting, they are in the, some of the weakest state that they're going to be. They get to where because of this cycle that's going on. I've read an article where that sometimes, a lot of times that they get to a place where they don't really, they kind of go to a lower place or some crags or some rocks and they kind of stay there in a situation to where they're weakened. They're going through some things. There's a change happening in their life. And, and, and there's calcium that builds up on their beaks and, and their feathers is starting to come out and their body is being drained because of this process that they're going through. It says that I read a couple of different places where some of the older eagles, not the younger ones that's not gone through this before, but some of the older ones that's older than them that's been through this process, that they will fly overhead and drop meat because they're not able to hunt like they were. And it's a very dangerous period in their life to where they're weaker than they've ever been before. And they'll drop meat for them to be able to eat and to strengthen themselves while they're going through this period. And then finally they come out the other side. The ones There's some that, that give up. But some of them make it through the other side of this and they've now been replenished and they have, they've been eating this, uh, this meat and they've been growing new feathers and they're now they're actually stronger than ever before. So that one day their strength is renewed and they're able to again leap into the skies and are able to fly harder and faster and higher than ever before because their strength has been renewed. It says here that He, the Lord, renews your strength. How does He do that? When we get in His presence, when we feed on His Word, when He drops down those little ramas, those little words of encouragement in our heart, and He meets us in the altar, we get stronger and stronger to where we're able to be restored and stronger and be able to be used. And so we ought to praise Him and be grateful to Him because He's a restorer. You know, we should also praise Him because He's our defender. You know, the Lord defends us. 
We see him. He is the, hey, when we get there and the enemy comes against us, who is our defense attorney? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, they're guilty. They're guilty of that, but I've already paid the price myself. So he's our defender. And we see that in verse 6 says, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. The enemy comes against you and he wants you to give up. He wants you to be discouraged. He wants you to be weak. He wants you to give in today. But the Lord says, I'm going to be your defense. I'm going to be your strength if you'll just let me. Psalms 18, 2-3 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He's my God. He's my strength in whom I will trust. He's my buckler and the horn of my salvation. And he's my high tower that runs. He's everything I need. Everything you need. Whatever you're facing today. Jesus Christ. He's the one we run to. And he's the one who strengthens us and helps us. Also, in some, this is David knew what he's talking about. Because he used God to strengthen him over and over and over again. He knew his help came from. And he says in Psalms 146 verse 7. He says, Who executes justice. For the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. Oh, he's the one we run to. He's the one that defends us. He's the one who is our help in a time of need. Finally today, last point, we should also praise the Lord because he is merciful. He is so full of mercy. Verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. Isn't it wonderful that he's slow? You know, sometimes my, I've got to watch myself. I get over things pretty good, but it, I'm, quick, I got, I'm quick tempered. So I, something, something will happen and I get angry and I've got to watch because if I can just make it a little bit longer, I'll be okay. But at first, I, I want to react. Thank God he's not like that because it says he's slow to anger. It's not that he's not justified in being angry. It's not that we didn't do anything wrong. It says that he's, he's just got grace. He's got mercy extended. Yes, they're wrong. But I'm extending my mercy and grace because there's coming a time when he won't. But right now, he's extending his mercy. Even today, he's extending his mercy one more time. Verse 9 says, he will not always chide. What's that word mean, chide? He's not going to always do it. He's not always going to plead with you. When that Holy Spirit deals with our soul, oh, I'm telling you what, it's, it, it, it is a, it's a, it, the Lord knows exactly where you are, and we can put a front on anybody else, but we can be sitting in the, in the house of God, and the Lord will, the Holy Spirit will reach down and put a finger on our heart, and it's like we feel Him drawing us. We feel, we feel nervous. We feel the Spirit drawing us in. Oh, you're pointing a light within our heart. And that's what that word chide means. The Lord deals with us. You know why He deals with you? Because he has mercy on you and he loves you so much that he says, no, I can't. You can't, you can't make it. You can't make it if you don't surrender to me. Just all you got to do is put your trust in me. And, you can, and so it says he won't always do that. He will not always plead with you. He will not always try to draw you. And it goes on to the rest of that verse. It says, neither will he keep his anger forever. That word keep means withhold. You know, the Second Peter, I think, says that the, some of these people will say that, the, you know, the Lord's supposed to have been coming my whole life and nothing's changed. Everything's the same way it was. It's been that way for 2,000 years. Nothing's ever changed. He ain't coming back. But Second Peter tells us that the reason that the, the Lord hasn't came back is that God's mercy, He's holding that door. He's holding open that door of mercy to the last minute because He wants people to draw them. He wants them to come in. I was thinking as I was praying this morning about that uh, uh, mercy. I was thinking about a, a storm that would hit and, and mother or father would come to the door and say, children, come on in. 
come in and the wind's blowing and the rain's blowing and, and the clouds are dark and we see that it's a fearful time and, and the door should close but till the last one, he's, he's sitting there calling for that last minute, please come on in. Come on in because danger is looming and he holds it open until the last minute so that he can save as many as he can. The Lord does that in our own, and even in today. They're, they're, the you see it. The clouds are just rolling. We were talking about that today, this morning. That there's a, all the signs in the world is pointing at time is short. And yet God's mercy is holding that door open and saying, Don't you see the dark clouds? Don't you see what's going on? Run for mercy because I'm a God of mercy. I'm not a God who's ready to beat you and to pulverize you. But I want to give you mercy if you will let me. Because it says in verse 10, it says, He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquity. He said, God's not making you. Thank God, because you know, when you look, when Ananias and Sapphira was in the temple and they lied to the Holy Spirit, judgment immediately. Thank God He has mercy for us, because there's so many times He should have done the same thing to me. But He's holding open that door of mercy. And it goes in verse 11. We see a, such a picture of His mercy. It says, For as high as the heaven is above the earth. Can we measure? Can anybody tell me how far? We've, we've went trillions and trillions of years with our microscopes. We can't find heaven. We can't see it. We know it's there. We see the glory that He's created and the beautiful things that He's spoken into existence. But we, can't, we could never measure to heaven. And this verse says to us, For as the high as the heaven is above the earth... So great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. Oh, how wonderful that is that His mercy is that great. His grace is so sufficient for you today. And then we see finally in Micah chapter 7 verse 18. Who is, who is a God like you? Talking about God. Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance. He doth not retain his anger forever, but he delights in, there's that word, steadfast love. That compassionate, steadfast love that he gives. We see that it says there, the door will not always be opened. But right now, his love is extended even today. Billions of people will walk into eternity and they've sat there with the door open over and over and over again. And they're going to wait for it to close. And just as in, in the Old Testament, when the door of that ark closed, when God closed it, no man can open it. And so he's coming. I think I've told you this before, but there was a mother that asked Napoleon. A man was about to be executed because of his doing wrong. And a mother came to Napoleon, and she fell down before him and pleaded with him, Please, sir. Please pardon my son. Napoleon responded, said, This young man has committed this crime twice. And it justifies immediate death. She said, I don't ask for justice, sir. She says, I plead for mercy. She said, he said back to her, says, Ma'am, your son does not deserve mercy. And she replied, you're exactly right. But it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I'm asking for. He thought about that for a minute. He contemplated what she said. He said, you're right. 
therefore I'm going to set him free. He don't deserve it, but I'm going to have mercy, and I'm going to set him free. That's what the Lord does for each and every one of us. And it's, it's a wondrous thing. And it's not because we're good. It's not because we just come to church regular. It's not because of whose family we're in or anything else. It's because he reaches out for every, the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That whosoever believeth in him. That's the word to believe. Just think about this. How many people's going to stand, billions of people's going to stand before him, knees trembling. We're all going to stand before him. Every single one of us going to stand before him trembling and says, that one word, if I could just have one word, give me one word I could go back to, believe. Because all we have to do is believe in him. This morning, that's that story of the serpent. All they had to do is look, put their confidence in that serpent, and they were able to live even though they were dying. And that was a picture of Christ. If all we do is look upon him and believe in him, that's all it takes. That one little thing. And yet it's so hard that billions walk away from it. This morning, let's stand and bow our heads. Almighty God, we know that there is many benefits, God, in serving you. God, I thank you, Lord, as David. Lord, as he ended this chapter again, he closes, Lord, by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Because, Lord, you have so much, Lord, that we have to be grateful for. And it starts with salvation. You're our Savior. And I thank you, Lord, today that your door of salvation is open today. And God, there's maybe some this morning that they're not receiving the benefits that you have because they haven't received point number one, and that's your salvation. And God, I pray that you would deal so intensely this morning that not one person would be able to escape the love that you reach down. God, that it would be your love and compassion and, and loving kindness that would reach out. And Lord, that crown, that surrounding, Lord, they would feel your presence around them to, to witness to their spirit how much you love them. Lord, for those that are saved, God, that they would be able to witness your loving kindness and faithfulness to them, that God, that you are so faithful, you've met their needs so many times, you've healed, you've delivered, you've been a strength, Lord, you've been a restorer, deliverer, God, you're everything, God, to us, and we thank you for that, and we thank you that, Lord, you were merciful for, to us, and God, I pray this morning that you would deal with hearts, that you would fill this altar, Lord, with those who want to call out and those who want to rejoice. This morning, with your head still bowed, no one looking around, this morning, I just it's just you and me right now in the Lord. If you would just be willing to say, Lord, I feel I, I'm one of the ones that I, I need to give my heart to Him. I don't know His benefits because I'm not really living for Him right now. And, and I just want you to just pray for me. Just pray for me that the Lord would get, Lord, help me, would draw me, would, would do a work in my life. If you just raise your hand and put it right back down, I just want to see that I can pray for you. Just if you just raise your hand this morning. Uh, you want the Lord to work. You want Him to move. And you feel Him stirring, but this morning, He can do it. If you just raise your hand this morning, just let me see. That doesn't do anything but tell me to pray for you. Anybody this morning, don't walk away from His blessings. Don't walk away from His, his wonderful love that He's pouring out. Anybody this morning, just put, quickly put your hand up and down. Oh, pray for me, brother. Pray for me this morning. Hallelujah. I won't tarry much longer. Just quickly. 
Hallelujah, Lord. I feel your presence. Almighty God. Lord, this morning, this then the rest of us this morning. How many this morning would say, Oh, I want to rejoice because of the faithfulness in my life. I can rejoice because of what he's done in my life. And you'd raise your hand and say, I thank him because I see those hands of what he's done in my life and the faithfulness that he's reached down. He's saved me and he's healed me. He's met my needs so many times. Hallelujah. This morning, as they sing this morning, this altar is open for those who will come and just stand here and thank the Lord and praise him. Say, God, I rejoice. Lord, like David I rejoice in what you're doing hallelujah oh hallelujah church let's find a place up here to praise him and, and to call out on him hallelujah hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Lord for your mighty power thank you Lord for your saving cleansing power thank you that you're a redeemer thank you Lord you're my salvation thank you Lord that you're my healer thank you you're my deliverer oh you're my restorer Almighty God, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.